This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, good morning and welcome to Tech Talk right here on High FM where we go over all the crazy new stuff and some not so new stuff that affects the world of tech. And I'm sorry to say, but every body is affected by the world of tech today. We cannot operate in a modern society. There's people have issues around that, but the simple fact is you cannot operate in a modern society without some form of interaction with tech. You can't run your business without technology. And more and more we're getting into a, uh, into a position where very few of us can actually do anything without being connected in one way or another. So when Apple have their WWDC, their Worldwide Developer Conference, and they tell us all the new cool stuff that's coming and how they're changing their operating systems and even released a little bit of hardware, you know, you need to pay some attention just to get a sense of what's coming, what's happening, and how the world of mobile is going to change. Because in many, many ways, there's no, you know, I don't want to get into the whole Android versus iOS debate. They're both tremendously mature platforms now. Both of them have their pros and cons. But it does seem that in many ways, Apple liberally borrows from the Android ecosystem, but so does Android borrow liberally from the uh, Apple ecosystem. A simple example of that was the notch. It took the Apple X series, the 10, to launch a notch, and before you knew it, every single Android phone had a notch. So Apple is definitely a very um, powerful force in the technology space, and what they do, many follow, and where they go just certainly gives us a little insight into what's happening around technology. So I'm going to discuss the whole WWDC, whatever they announced, all their new operating systems, some new hardware at 20 past 11. So get your friends around and you can find out all about what's happening in the world of Apple. But before we get there, just the coolest thing. Um, the other day I got an email from Amazon because I've bought when I've visited the States and I've used a, a local American address in San Diego of all places to register that account. And I get this email saying, would I like to participate in a drone delivery trial? I mean, how cool is that? They would give me 210 or 220 US dollars to buy stuff and have it delivered by drone to my address in San Diego over the next couple of months while they, they get on with us. And I mean, this is absolute science fiction. Imagine you use your app, you order yourself uh, some milk, a couple of, you know, sandwiches, some groceries and bits and pieces. And the next thing, a little drone comes whizzing overhead and lowers the parcel directly into your front yard or into your hands, into the garden. I've no, no idea how they exactly will play that one out. But simple fact is drone delivery, which looked like science fiction as little as a year ago, is now happening in many cities around the USA. And what is also interesting is that Amazon are, are actually actively working on the design of drones. I mean, who would think that a company that specializes in online retail, well, they do a lot more beside, but essentially are spending time, effort, and R&D money on creating revolutionary new drones. And they launched one or they announced one yesterday, which is super, super cool. And this thing is 
quite revolutionary. It's not like a normal drone that takes off horizontally and then whizzes along with vertical or horizontal propellers. What it does, it transforms into almost an aeroplane when it takes off and then whizzes even quick. You know, it's much faster as an aeroplane to where it needs to go and then drops horizontally down and delivers your goods. So there's a lot going on in that space. And as I said, it's absolute science fiction. But they're not the only ones. Google, with their flight division, are busy experimenting with drones. Uh, not flight, it's called Wing. Um, Alphabet Inc., which is Google's holding company, is called Wing. And they've actually had a couple of their drones registered with the FAA. So... There's a lot going on in that space, but really the whole idea of a drone coming and dropping your meds, dropping your your um, groceries is definitely, definitely something that we're going to see in the nearish future. Maybe in the U.S. to start, but once it happens there, it'll probably happen everywhere. And we'll be back with more news in a few secs straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well... Another little interesting news snippet that came across my desk this week, actually, is that for many of us who've traveled to London, the lucky lucky guys who get to travel, which I do, luckily, in the course of my search for all the latest tech news, is that you could, for the, the last couple of years, you've been able to simply take your tap-and-pay credit card, use it at um, every single subway or underground station pay point, and pay at the best rate, simple, clean, easy to do, and it just makes so much sense. No more running around topping up a card or, or getting to the gate, finding you're a couple of rand short or a couple of pounds short, and you have to go and stand in a line to queue up. And this has actually been happening a lot with, uh, with the car train. They have announced that finally, well, they haven't really announced it. They said they will announce the final go live date shortly but essentially what they've been trialing for the last year or so is exactly that tap and pay at every car train uh, station and i actually think that's a great 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 idea because how many times you get off a plane you didn't realize they'd put up the price of the trip from the airport you get there with your baggage you're not exactly in the right frame of mind and there's this long queue because there's one person dealing with you and the other people on the other side of the of the barrier, and it can take you quite a while to get your um, get your card topped out so you can leave the station. So starting probably sometime in July, what they're going to do is that wherever you go, you can simply use your tap to pay credit card and pay for your pay for your trip in and out just by simply using your credit card, which is I think just. It's so logical. It just makes so much sense. And there will be absolutely no more um, need to top up your card and for them to manage the card because essentially all credit cards today from all the various banks are tapped to pay. And that will just make so, so much sense. Now we just need to see if they're going to add that to the various uh, Samsung Pay and Apple Pay. and Well, Apple Pay is not in South Africa yet, but certainly Samsung Pay is. And uh, Fitbit Pay. Add that to the, the mix because they work on exactly the same system. So if it accepts a card, it should accept those. So keep your eye open and uh, see how when they finally get onto it. I think it's a great idea, something they should, should have rolled out a long time ago. But I suppose these things take a bit of time to set up. And um, hopefully within a month, month and a half, we should be able to just 
waltz into the Gau train station, tap your card, and go and move on. So that's really, really good news. So watch out for that. I'll let you know as soon as it works, and I'm going to try it. should be really, really interesting. And Uber have decided that they are now going to take action against obnoxious riders, just the same as they do with obnoxious drivers. So if a driver gets terrible reviews and complaints, they deactivate them and no longer allow them to pick up people and drive in their, or drive people under the Uber platform. Well, they've confirmed um, that South Africa will be doing the same thing for riders. So basically, uh, you may or may not know this, but when every time you take an Uber and you rate your driver, they actually rate you back. You can pick that up in the app. You go and have a look at your at your rider rating. It's there for all to see. And if it's anything less than around about 4.5, I think you've got to look at how you uh, deal with your Uber rider, but any, driver. But anyway, what they're going to do, what they've announced, is that they are going to look at riders who get consistently bad feedback from their drivers. They, these drivers will receive a warning. And... <laughs> This is quite cool. They'll be given advice on how to improve their behavior. Be more polite. Don't smoke in the car. I don't know what it is. Stop chewing chewing gum. Who knows what it is? But they will receive uh, uh, advice on improvement. And if they continue to receive bad feedback from drivers after a warning, the next step, they will be temporarily suspended so they, for a week so they can't use Uber. And if there's no improvement, they will con- they will eventually face a full deactivation. In other words... They won't be able to use Uber at all, which quite, which is quite interesting. It just boggles the mind that people can be so badly behaved that they, they get such terrible reviews. But just like social media and just like everything else, if you get good reviews, things keep going smoothly. If you get bad reviews, it can affect your ability to get on with things. So watch out, pay attention, and just remember, that your Uber driver actually rates you just the same as you rate them. So if the Uber driver's no good, don't give them a good rating, and let's get better Uber drivers on the road. But by the same token, the Uber driver's going to rate you. So let's get better Uber riders on the road. Be polite and see how uh, your rating improves. Now, the next really interesting little tidbit that uh, I've been dealing with, and is something to do with electric cars. Well, it's not even something to do with electric cars. They are getting more and more popular on our roads. You're starting to see them every now and then. Obviously, the iconic BMW i3 has been whizzing around Johannesburg and much of South Africa. Um, the guys at Jaguar have been installing PowerPoints on all the major highways. But it's still very much a fringe-type product, things that people perhaps aren't entirely ready to switch over from a petrol thing. But... Two things are happening which are, are really important in the in the scheme of things. One, as many, many, many will know, diesel engines are pretty much on their way out. Many manufacturers have stopped selling diesel, stopped manufacturing, stopped development on diesel. So you're going to see fewer and fewer of those. Unfortunately, South Africa has become a little bit of a dumping ground as we're not nearly as proactive in that space as Europe and some places in Asia. But the, the all this money, all the development is going into uh, electric cars. So the battery lives, the batteries are getting far better. They start to get a lot cheaper. The ranges of these cars and the motors that they use are, are getting 
to the four five hundred kilometer range. And think about it: how many of us get much more than five hundred kilometers out of a tank of fuel? And then you can go and fill up, and that takes twenty minutes, twenty five minutes. By the time you get there, buy yourself a bottle of water. Imagine if you could just take your electric car, plug it in uh, at a high speed charger at your local Shell or BP, and in less than twenty minutes, you get eighty percent charge, so you can be on your way really quickly. And that's exactly what is happening. And what BMW and and Jaguar Land Rover announced is that they are all going to collaborate on their next generation of electric cars because it needs a standard. You cannot have a system where some garages or some recharging stations only work with X brand and others work with Y brand. You certainly need, just like now, pretty much every single fuel station you go into has got the fuel you need for your car. So collaboration across the various um brands and manufacturers will actually drive the growth of uh, electric drive technology in 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 pretty incredible way and what's interesting this is not the first one well it's one of many announcements around the whole electric car thing uh Fiat Chrysler and Renault have talked about and I think it's actually off I read this morning but we're talking about a merger and a deal that would sort of create um an, an alliance with Nissan and Mitsubishi around electric cars. Volkswagen, funny enough, are working with their U.S. rival Ford, which is their biggest rival on electric cars. So expect to see a lot more talk around electric cars, a lot more technology going into it. And as technology is, it's exponential. It ramps up really, really quickly. And before you know it, your next car may well be electric. So really, really interesting times in the motor vehicle industry. going to be a lot of quiet, smooth cars on the road in the nearest, nearest future. And we'll be back with Tech Talk Cafe straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back and welcome to our Tech Talk segment. I've got a couple of really cool interviews lined up in the next couple of weeks, which should be super interesting. But I felt that this week worth talking about a major event that happened on Monday night. I mean, that took two and a half hours of of uh, stuff that uh, was announced by a little company called Apple. And at their worldwide developer com- conference, which was held in San Francisco as of Monday um, and continued for pretty much all of the week with lots of demos, got the whole developer con- uh, community together, they announced a whole host of new software, some interesting takes on what's going to happen with a MacBook and the Mac Pro and the iPad, which is really, really interesting. And then um, they announced something. (laughs) I saw the tweet that Rich People's Mac and Cheese is the new Mac Pro. So really interesting. The front does look a little bit like a cheese grater, but there's good reason for that. So I felt it really would make sense to just get it get an idea of what's coming down the road for Apple. Um, Even if you're not an Apple fan, as I said earlier, Apple tends to set the agenda for what is going down within the the space. They were the first into the the mobile sort of touchscreen phone. They completely revolutionized the, the mobile industry. When Nokia, when they released the first iPhone, Nokia were number one using their Symbian operating system. And we all had smartphones in our or 
semi-smartphones in our pockets, which we thought were really, really cool. And along came Apple with this big sort of glass and, and steel slab with a big touchscreen on the front, not a button in sight. And within two years had pretty much revolutionized the entire industry, along with the help of what they call the developers. They created the the Apple App Store, and that was years. They caught Android, and everyone completely flat-footed. It took Android two years to respond, and for many years, I would say, the Android ecosystem was, you know, at least a year or two behind Apple in many, many, many respects. In the last four or five years, that situation has settled down enormously. I would say that Android, in many ways, brings innovation to the market that Apple follow with, and vice versa. Android, the ecosystem borrow liberally from each other. There's no question that the Apple ecosystem is a little bit, um, I would say, more polished, a little bit more integrated. Remember, Apple control the entire stack. They make the software. They write the programs that run. They create the hardware. They create the operating system that this all runs on. And they manage the process seamlessly from beginning to end, which allows them to do things that the Android ecosystem can't do. Google created Android. They still maintain and and support Android. But the manufacturers, the Samsungs, the Huawei's, the Sony's, the LG's of this world, actually create the products that that run Android and and that creates and they they put their own little flavor on top of those products. So it does create a little bit of a what a, I wouldn't call it a disconnect, but it certainly creates a fragmentation within the ecosystem that um, is potentially a huge problem. And a, and a great way, a great example of that is. Um, Tim Cook, otherwise known as Tim Apple, <laughs> he was renamed by uh, President Trump at some meeting. So suddenly he's become Tim Apple, and he went and changed his Twitter handle to Tim Apple. But anyway, Tim Cook came on board and, and basically set out, you know, what's going on in the in the software ecosystem. And he has a really interesting fact: eighty percent of iOS devices, and that's iPhones, iPads. Everything that runs iOS is running the latest version of iOS, which is version 12 in its various 1 to 5. That is just insane, considering there's nearly a billion devices in the market globally. Whereas compared to Android, less than 10, round about 10%, I think that's the figure he used, 10% of Android devices are running the latest version of Android uh, 9, which came out last year September October so in and and pretty much the same time that iOS 12 came out so in the time in the same time period that iOS 12 has been released 80% of devices run iOS 12 and 10% of devices run Android 9 which is the latest version of Android and the hassle that that creates is mostly for the developer community because as they improve the operating systems, as they change what they do, you find that certain features, apps, abilities are just not possible on the uh, older operating systems. And the developers themselves have to then fork or create or come up with multiple versions of an app, which adds to the cost. And the other thing that he reported is that people still spend more money on the um, Mac or the iOS uh 
App Store than they do on the Android Store. So there's very good reason to watch what goes on around iOS and how they do it. And they announced the latest version, which is iOS 13. And what's happened in technology, it's not this very little revolutionary stuff going on, but one of the cooler features that they announced, and they actually made it a bit of a headline feature, is that iOS 13 will feature uh, dark mode. Now, dark mode has, apart from just looking cool, dark mode simply means that instead of white backgrounds, there'll be black back, black backgrounds to pretty much everything. And that sounds like a simple thing to do. But imagine um, that's got to work across absolutely every app and work seamlessly across absolutely every part of the operating system. But they announced it and it'll be part of iOS 13. And what they've also announced is that iOS 13 is going to be up to 50% faster on compatible hardware. They have restricted that. It'll be iPhone 7s and up and iPad Air and iPad 4 and up that will get iOS 13. I mean, you can check that out. But if you've got some of the older equipment, you might not be able to get iOS 13. But there's some really, really new cool features. Definitely dark mode will help for one major reason. By restricting the amount of white on your screen, you can save battery life. So dark mode might actually save up to 20% better battery life, which is really important. iOS 13... Not right now, but when it finally releases, also uh, offers uh, an improvement in not only performance, but in battery performance. And they've also done some really interesting stuff on their apps. There's Safari Mail and Notes and a much more detailed map that is coming by the end of 2019. It is starting. Their maps update looks absolutely insane. Um, and really interesting fact that when I was in China in the last two weeks and in Taiwan, Apple Maps is actually a far better and much more comprehensive and usable solution to traveling around, even using public transport, than Google Maps. Well, the fact is Google Maps does not work particularly well in China because it's totally restricted there. But Apple Maps is not, and <laughs> it actually works extremely well. And their new maps are going to be 3D and some amazing new features, which will roll out for the U.S. this year does not really impact us, but I have no doubt that they will be rolling it out globally as they move along. iOS 13 is also going to be a lot more secure and a lot less privacy tracking going on. In other words, the tracking, um, they offered something really interesting. How many times have you signed up for a website and you have to use, they insist you use your, your email address? And the next thing you get spammed to death on your email address and you've got to, it's just a real pain in the neck to um, to do that. Well, what Apple are offering is that when you want to sign up for one of these services, they will supply you a once-off email address, which you can then either use or delete as and when you please, and not receive those emails. It will forward to your own email address, but that's really, really clever, and it'll allow you to sign up for once-off things that you don't want to get spammed for the rest of your life and clog up your mailbox, simply by deleting that uh, that uh, that email address in a very simple interface, which makes so much, so much sense. They've upgraded their emojis, which are really cool, and you can use them to create your own personal avatar. Um, I haven't tried it yet. I will download the beta. Well, that's the other thing. iOS 13 beta is available, um, but only to developers for now. If you're a keen first-timer, I would suggest that unless you're a developer, do not download it for the next – there are ways you can Google that – do not download for the next month. 
They are launching the public beta in July. By then, it'll probably be on the developer beta 3 or 4, which is much more stable. And the reason why they do this, and a lot of people have asked me, why don't they just release the operating system? The thing is that there are so many new features and new APIs and new ways of doing things within the operating system itself that they need the developers to update all the apps to make things work because things are a bit flaky. Like right now, you'll probably find a good 20, 30 percent of apps just do not work properly or at all on on the new operating system. And some basic apps that maybe, you know, that you use for whatever um, will just not work. So it's actually... Not a good idea to do it until these apps have been updated considerably. And that's exactly why they, relo- they launch it at the developer conference to let the, um, let the, the developers start fixing and changing the apps. At the same time as they release the new operating system, they release the new app creating system to assist in that regard as well with all the new functions and all the new capabilities built in so that they can redevelop the apps and make them work. So expect iOS 13 to be slicker, smoother. I like their new look. It's got a nice, clean, fresh look and um, some amazing new features, which should be really, really, really impressive. At the same time, what they did, they announced that the iPad is going to take a huge, huge um, leap forward. And they're trying to make the iPad much more of a computer than it was before. They've always touted the iPad Pro with its pencil and the iPad as a little bit of a computer replacement. But the vast majority of people that I know have found that you still need a laptop to do a whole lot of things for lots of good reasons. And it seems they've looked at those reasons. And what they've done is they've forked all all iPads right now run iOS 12, exactly the same version, obviously with some tweaks and some looks and feels that are slightly different. But essentially, it's the same operating system as on your iPhone. Well, what they've done is that they've essentially now forked iOS into two operating systems, iOS 13 for um, for your phone and iPad OS for your iPad. And what they've done is bring a lot of new capabilities, and they've called it iPad OS without a number, which is quite smart. But they're bringing a couple of things that really will make the iPad a lot more useful. You can now use a mouse on your your iPad. Right now, what it does, it uses like finger touch. It's not quite the same as a mouse you'd expect on your computer, but it allows you to run a mouse and on your on on the iPad. They'll probably refine that as they go they go along. They also add support for USB thumb drives, so you can plug a drive straight in. Remember that the the new generation, not all, but the new generation of iPads, all the iPad Pros use USB-C, which is a different connector to the one that they use on their phone. There was a, a rumor that the new phones would be using it, but nothing at this stage. But you can plug a USB drive and an external SSD drive directly into the iPad and import photos and treat it like a file system. So what they've done is they've really optimized the file system to operate more like a computer, less like a phone, which is great. And what they've also done is optimize their Safari, which is like the, the you know, Google Chrome on the iPad and expect Google to do the same thing very shortly to be more of a desktop site. Remember you've got a 10, 12 inch screen. Why wouldn't you, um, why wouldn't you uh, want to have the full desktop experience on your website rather than the mobile experience? And they've also allowed custom fonts. They've improved the latency of the, the pencil so it's, it's faster and slicker and easier to write with. So essentially what they're doing is they're bringing the iPad 
much, much more into the mainstream and making it much, much more of a usable computer. Time will tell to see, based on the apps and everything that's provided, whether people will be able to replace their laptops or their convertible tablets running Windows or even Mac OS with an iPad. But I think that's exactly where they're aiming at. Expect to see a lot more refinement in iPad OS. And along with what they've done on their new Mac OS, which they've called Catalina, which is an island off the coast of California, um, and the, the new version, 10.15 Catalina, brought one major thing that a lot of people have asked me about iTunes has been killed. So all you guys who used iTunes either on on your um, Android or on your, not on your Android, on your Windows 10 or your Mac uh, will now have three apps to do what iTunes does. And it's quite simple. iTunes over the years has just, it, it revolutionized the way we listened and bought and music and movies and podcasts. But over the years, it's it's always been a bit of a clunky app. But it's become extremely bloated with doing too much. And, you know, you connected stuff. And it was just, I don't know, I never enjoyed uh, iTunes at all. I just found it the most clunky, difficult uh, app to use. And it really was just a pain to put music on your phone, take it off your phone. It was just crazy. Streaming changed all that. And I think Apple have realized that the age of buying music and buying movies and storing them on your device is pretty much gone. Everything streams. So what they've done is they've created three new apps. The first one is music. The music app will still aggregate and control all the music that you may have bought through iTunes. And in fact, you'll still be able to buy music through the music app going forward. So those of you who don't want to subscribe to the Apple Music streaming platform and still have a whole host of music that you've bought over the years and you want to keep on your your Mac or your various devices, the music app will allow that to continue. But it's been promised, I haven't played with it yet, but it's been promised to be super fast and the look and feel, it looks extremely intuitive, much more like what you see on iOS on an iPhone. So that I think is a brilliant, brilliant um idea. They also now have a podcast app, which is completely separate. That's been available on, on iOS for a while. It's now available on Mac OS and probably on Windows coming soon. That you can download all your podcasts and whatever you've got and downloaded should go pretty much seamlessly there. You can index it and find it easy. And finally, all your movies and videos that you bought or downloaded or stored or whatever you did with them are now going to be integrated into the Apple TV app. Again, that's been available on, on iOS for a bit, but now it will completely take over on your Mac and all video content will sit there along with everything else that Apple are doing around TV. That's a discussion for another time. But essentially, those three apps will do it. And what they've done is all your hardware backups and control of your phone, like you used to do in iTunes, has been built into the finder of macOS. So in other words, it's part of the operating system. You simply plug your phone in. Nothing happens. Nothing pops up like in the past. But you can control your phone. You can back it up. You can sync your music. You can do whatever you want to do through the OS itself. It'll treat it like another hard drive, which makes a lot of sense. And I can see, unfortunately, we're running out of time. There's obviously a new Apple Watch and Watch OS 6. The good news is it will, unlike OS 5, run on on the first generation of Apple Watch and promises, again, a lot of slickness, an app store on the watch itself, a lot of apps that run directly. You don't need to have them on the phone, no connection to the phone. So they're making them 
the the Apple Watch a little bit more standalone and a lot better at running apps and everything all by itself. The last thing that I want to mention before we run out of time was their hardware announcement. They launched a brand new Mac Pro, and this is probably the most significant computer they've launched in many years. There's a huge drive, which I spoke about last year, last week, to the creator's computers. In other words, massively powerful computers that you can do video editing, movie creation, all sorts of heavy computer-intensive tasks in a slick beautiful box well this is slick it's beautiful it has a stainless steel frame everything is modular they've thrown a level of tech that has not been seen before into a box and then they use a cover which has got a really smart um, airflow system but the front looks a little bit like a cheese grater so if you see these things about mac and cheese rich people buy apples with mac and cheese well this is one of them but what they've done is they've certainly created probably the most powerful uh, computer that you could ever imagine for creatives. It's not going to be cheap. I think the base computer is going to be about 5000 US dollars and growing up from there. But you can take it up to 28 cores, uh, terabytes of main memory, pr- uh, video cards, up to eight of them. So really, finally, they've got rid of the the sort of uh, dustbin look, and this is a significantly big ploy back into the sort of um, creation and high end of computers. And they've done some incredible work around that. So if you're in, and and a lot of people have said, but why would anyone pay that sort of money for things? But the simple fact is that this is cutting-edge technology at surprisingly good prices. But I'll come back to that. Unfortunately, I can see we're running out of time. I've got some gadgets and gizmos to talk about. But I'll just wrap it up straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And before I get to my gadget of the week, which is a little bit of a businessy thing, but uh, I found it super useful. I actually took it with me when I went to... Um, Computex in Taiwan, and I actually did my show from Skype using this little device, which is a Jabra Speak 510 Bluetooth speakerphone. And I'll explain a little bit about that in a few minutes, but I just want to wrap up the whole Mac Pro story, because a lot of guys have, have questioned why such an expensive computer needs to exist, and, and that it, does it make sense? Well, here's a really important thing. If you had to take a Windows machine and spec it to similar sort of specs using the Intel um, Xeon processor, using the amount of high-speed RAM that you you could land up in the system, using the NVIDIA video cards or even the AMD video cards um, of of similar sort of quality and wrap it all up with the various um, bits and pieces that you would need in order to make a system like that work. I mean, the power supply in this uh, particular, in the Mac Pro, is 1.5 kilowatt. You know, people are talking about 500 watt, 800 watt, even 1,000 watt. This one's capable of 1.5 kilowatts of power. Um, when you wrap that all together and you start speaking the price of that, the price is easily in the ten to $15,000 space. And when you last start looking at professional workstations for professional people, that's what you're going to be paying for a high-end professional 
unit. So to start at $6,000 for the Mac Pro is actually incredibly good value for money considering what's going on. When you start specking it out with fast hard drives and memory and everything, the price can climb anything up to $15,000, which makes a lot of sense. But there's no question that this is an absolute shot at the very, very, very top. And if you use Mac OS and you're used to all the various um, Mac applications to do the work that you do this is actually incredible uh, value and power within the space that was falling far behind i think mac were starting to slip windows were stealing their lunch because for example adobe would make for mac and windows and they'd be very equivalent in overall software performance and simply comes down to the hardware what they also announced, which was really important in the hardware space, was their new Apple Pro display, the XDR. They've essentially, and I'm not going to go into this one, it's a 32-inch HDR display. They call it XDR. But essentially, this is has the same cheese grater back, so it tones in with their, their Mac Pro. But what they have done is create a 6K resolution um, display. with It's an LED display, but with the ability to get so bright to 1,600 nits. Think about it this way. The average monitor that you use on your desk is between three and 500 nits. So it's three to five times brighter than the average monitor that you use. And apart from that, it can do that all day long. And it has a contrast ratio of a million to one. And the only way that they could do that is using some really, really special, special um technologies in the back end but the only other technology that has got to that level of um, contrast is uh, OLED and OLED's brightness maxes out at between 800 and 1000 nits at its very best so this is truly remarkable what they've done using LCD technology and using current technology to create a monitor that professionals really can use to do stuff um, in in the most exceptional way so <laughs> the joke on the internet is that the stand that goes with this monitor, which is also five thousand dollars, just just in case you were wondering, um, the stand costs a thousand dollars. Supposed to be the most remarkable piece of engineering, I have no question. But uh, fifteen thousand rand for a stand for a monitor that already costs obscene amounts of money does seem a little over the top. But then again, this is Apple, and so much more was discussed at the WWDC. You can check it out online. But essentially, understand that. They've set out their entire overall picture of what they're doing. The the whole operating system, iOS, iPadOS, and macOS are getting closer and closer. They're all starting to run the same software, the same programs. Developers can simply tick one box, and their apps will run across the entire your laptop, Mac OS, Mac, uh, iPadOS, and iOS on your phone, so you'll get the same app. Twitter, for example, will now run across all those operating systems, be exactly the same program, same functionality. So they really are bringing the entire thing together in a smooth, slick, seamless way and launching some new capabilities and some new products that are put, I think, really do put Apple back in the forefront as the mobile industry sort of matures and that sort of slows down. I think Apple are very strategic in what they're doing and trying to bring more and more product to more and more people and keep it seamless across the entire range. So stay tuned, watch all these new things as they come out. And I think there's going to be a lot of response from the entire industry 
in that space. Now, I can see again we're running out of time really quickly. And what I wanted to just talk about, my gadget of the week, which is super, super cool, is the Jabra Speak 510 Bluetooth speaker. Now, it's not cheap. It costs around about 2,400 rand. Um, you can pick it up pretty much anywhere. If you want to find out where, just uh, check out their website, jabra.com. Um, and what it is, it's a portable USB and Bluetooth speaker phone. Now, all of us have had meetings where we've put the speaker, you've put your phone on the desk and you've tried to use it as a speaker phone and it's not really great. You can't hear people. Um, it's, it's indistinct. If you're sitting too far away, it's really a problem. And the expensive sort of video or audio conferencing systems that are, are in, um, boardrooms across the country work really well. But then again, you're sitting in a coffee shop, you're sitting somewhere else in another little place. You don't have the necessary equipment. Well, here's a cool little device, which if you do a lot of video conferencing or a lot of audio conferencing makes a lot of sense. You can plug it into any laptop. It connects seamlessly and will work with any video conferencing software. No matter where you are, I've tried it with Skype. I've tried it with a couple of others, and it just works absolutely brilliantly. What is really cool about this device as well, it has a 15-hour rechargeable battery built in, and it's got some DSP technology which really works. It's not brilliant as a speaker, if you want to listen to music, for example, but it certainly makes voices incredibly clear, and it's got multiple mics all the way around, which which makes it really easy to, you just put it in the middle of the table, no matter where you are, it's, I've found, even with groups up to five or six people, it picks up voices incredibly well and plays back voices incredibly well. So there's no echo. It's just such a smart, clever, simple implementation. And as I said, with 15-hour battery life, you don't have to even plug it in. You can connect it Bluetooth to your phone, and it enhances any phone's ability to, to audio conference unbelievably well so we'll just take a quick break for our sponsors and then i'll be back just to wrap that up and talk about one last little thing that really made my life a a, a pleasure in china this is tech talk with stephen ambrose on 101.9 high fm anyway so um just to quickly wrap up the jabra speak 150 as i said it links to your phone via bluetooth it can link to your computer via Bluetooth as well. So you can use your laptop. So if you're using any form of video conferencing system that you need a laptop for, be it from Citrix or any one of those other guys, this works extremely well. So if you do a lot of video conferencing and you run a small business or you just want to carry around a brilliant speaker that allows you to conference and speak to people really well, and I must say the the jump in audio quality and legibility and understanding um, on even a poor telephone line is amazing. As I said, I used it from, I put it on the table, used it through my laptop uh, from Taiwan to do my show last week, and the voice quality and everything was absolutely brilliant. I'm super impressed with it. It comes in a lovely little portable pouch. The cable's built in. It recharges really quickly. It's got a mute function and everything that you would expect from a portable conference speaker. The quality, build quality is excellent. So check it out. You can pick it up pretty much anywhere. I think Incredible Connection have got it. Um, check it out on the Jabra website. And um, it really adds, it's, a, it's another little piece of the Road Warriors Technology Arsenal. So 
My last little punt before we end the show today is a platform or actually a system that I used to travel often. And that I've spoken about them on the, on, on the air before, but if anyone's traveling and especially if you're going to a place like China, which is the most remarkable thing, you arrive at the hotel, um, you, you get free Wi-Fi access and you connect your laptop, tablet, phone to the Wi-Fi and nothing works. Nothing. No emails arrive. Your web browser doesn't work. No website that you go to works. It is the most bizarre feeling in the entire world. You go and buy a SIM like you would do when you travel because it's much cheaper than roaming on your own SIM. And again, nothing works. You can get maps in Chinese, but that doesn't help you much because my Chinese is perhaps a little, uh, little. But what I used was a system from a company called No Roaming. I've mentioned them before. And as I said, they do uh, an incredible job of global roaming. Well, this time I had something even cooler. They offered me something. I've got an iPhone XR. Um, and they offered me an eSIM. So all I did was scan a barcode, and all of a sudden I had everything working on my phone exactly as it should. As you land, the no-roaming SIM, if it's a sticker or SIM, which you can get again at any of the iStores or across the country, you can you pop it in, you load up some, some money, and it's reasonably cheap. I mean, you can get uh, unlimited data for three days for $9, which is, what, around 150 bucks, And... Um, it really works exactly as advertised, but here's where it gets really smart. When you're connected through their system, you are totally connected to the Internet no matter where you are. So if you're in China, everything works exactly the same. I was able to navigate using Google Maps. I was able to get my emails, use WhatsApp. That's the other thing. WhatsApp doesn't work there. No matter what you do, you need QQ or Line or WeChat or one of the others, which some people do have, but but not everybody's got it, so it's a real pain. So using no roaming, I was able to continue roaming, continue working. I even tethered my phone to my laptop because using VPNs is another thing that's a little bit of a challenge. They, the, the Great Firewall of China tends to block those after a very short while. So not all VPNs work the same, but this way I was able, using the unlimited data package, to use my laptop in the normal course and stay fully, fully, fully connected. And then you simply get on the plane, go to another country. When you land, leave your phone on, two seconds flat. The no roaming system simply connects to the local network and you get full connectivity, no problem. Again, fairly unlimited data. There is a fair use policy, uh, unfortunately, like everyone else, but I've never been, I've never had a problem. I've never hit the cap. Some people say they have, but the only thing you've got to watch out for is when you use your phone as a hotspot, other phones might decide to upload photos uh, and, spe- and use a ton of data to upload photos and do stuff that you've told your phone to only do on Wi-Fi. So be very aware that if you use a no-roaming phone and you do use it to tether other phones, you should switch off Wi-Fi upload of photos and Wi-Fi download of, let's say, files like in Dropbox and things like that. So... And and often there are many, 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 many um, of these. So, for example, it's not only Dropbox that uploads fines, files on Wi-Fi on your phone, but uh, OneDrive does as well, and so does Google Drive. So if you've got any one or all of those on your phone, and um, Apple phones tend to do it to iCloud as well. So switch off all, all um, upload on Wi-Fi. It's quite a pain to remember all that, but... 
do that, and you'll probably have no problem with fair use policies on 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 systems like no roaming, and on any form of. Um, a lot of other companies offer you little hotspot devices, especially in places like Japan, to use to link and tether your phones. Just switch off your upload, otherwise things get a little bit out of hand. So kudos to No Roaming. I must say they really made my life significantly uh, easier and connected. Imagine myself without all this connectivity. And it's quite scary. You switch on your phone and nothing works. You can make or receive phone calls, but apart from that, uh, all the stuff that you take for granted just does not work. Strange place, China, but that's the way these things are. And there are ways around it, and no roaming just makes so much sense. But it works in Europe, it works in America, it works pretty much everywhere. And as I said, the pricing from you can buy for a day, you can buy for three days, from I think one ninety or two ninety nine all the way up to, or three ninety nine all the way up to nine ninety nine dollars for unlimited data. Um, you can forward your phone calls from your local number to the no roaming number, there's only one little drawback. You cannot receive SMSs. So if you use SMSs for banking or whatnot, you could have a little bit of a problem. Anyway, on that note, uh, I'm afraid we've been told to wrap it up. Too much news, too much Apple, too much gadgets and gizmos. Until next week, same place, same time, this is Stephen Ambrose for Tech Talk right here on High FM.